This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi williams The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi-Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. This week, we bring you our interview with Sal Galatioto, founder of Galatioto Sports Partners. And that's in a few minutes. But first, let's look at some of the top stories of the week. And we got to start with a story uh, about the Houston Astros controversy. No, I'm not talking about what they did on the field. I'm talking about what uh, an employee, supposedly higher up, said to a group of female reporters. Uh, and it just sparked a whole wide controversy to where now uh, Rob Manfra is looking into it. Yeah, baseball is definitely looking into uh, what uh, the uh, assistant general manager said. He was he was vociferously supporting Roberto Asuna, who had been, of course, accused of domestic violence in Toronto. That's why they got him. He was looked at at the time as a distressed asset to use the finance parlance because you know Toronto just wanted to get rid of him. Um, and it seems, Eben, that a certain female reporter, she every time he came in a game. She would tweet the domestic violence hotline number, and the the employee had taken issue with that. And then now he just chose this celebratory time to just yell, "I'm so glad we got him! So glad we got him!" Like, but in their direction, specifically, seemingly targeting. Yeah, I think that's the, the critical point. He right. was vociferously talking about how glad they were to to, to have Roberto Osuno, but, Who, but by the saying way, had it, given up the game tying. Yeah, run. he did not have a good time, game. Right? Yeah. Um, but saying it directly to a group of, of female yeah. reporters, and especially if that is true, that one of them is is one of the people who had been more outspoken about the fact that you know the Astros were willing to trade for a guy who who had this kind of ugly allegation. Um, I, I, there's two folds here. Personally, I, I think this guy should be fired. I think he should have been fired immediately. But 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 more than that, I'm totally confused by the way the Astros have responded yeah. to this, right? Yeah. I mean, there are other journalists besides the SI writer, the woman who wrote this, who can back up, who witnessed- Well, we should say the, she wrote the, a piece about it. Yeah. The, asked the team for comment. They, they didn't they chose give not one. To. Then the piece was published and they came out afterward- and said that she this essentially is, this fabricated, fabricated it, this that is, she was this trying is, to make up right. a story. And then a number of other journalists have said, I was in the room, I, I witnessed this happening. And then, you know, a day later, the Astros issued another round of not even really apology, but yeah, yeah if, the word if, if, if essentially if they, saying that, that, that it was all misinterpreted, which again, you know, given the eyewitness accounts, doesn't seem like that is right. If I'm wrong, but we've seen this a million times in pro sports, and I think we've seen this with quality of teams and up and down, it starts. At the top. Yeah. Yep. Right? Yeah. If the owner had something he wanted to say or she wanted to say, let's have it. Yeah. And Jim Crane, who's been on this show before, the owner of the Astros, you know, he he has weighed in and it was it was fairly it was fairly tepid as well. Right. Yeah. And it, it doesn't Jeff Luno, the GM was very tepid. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, just keep in mind too, not only did he say it to the group of female reporters, he said it with a 
maybe an expletive or two that obviously yeah, there is we profanity can't in there. Yeah, so. yeah, and and to me, the, the 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 problematic part of this is that you know we can debate whether or not a guy like Roberto Osuno should be allowed to play in the league. I personally think that you know that's that's fine, right? I mean, you 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 can have a second chance in a lot of different jobs. It, it's okay for the Astros to want to trade and acquire him, but in doing that, you have to accept that there is going to be a conversation around what you're doing and and what he did and and how that kind of works with your team and it just seems as though in in taunting women who have tried to have that conversation this assistant gm is essentially making light of the accusations seems, against seems to be a lot of female fans in the crowd yeah uh you vote, you vote with your wallet right that's right. right that's right let's move on to uh espn uh is about to get somebody brand new house of highlights founder omar raja yeah, this is the ESPNification of going young. Thing that, that young, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like we're not really sure how to do it. We go take from the outside, and Eben has written a piece about Bleacher Report and and House of Highlights recently. So I'll let him get into it. But what I know about this, and I'm not a House of Highlights fan, like you and I are out of the demo. Yes, but yes. I know this: the kids love it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who haven't heard of House of Highlights, and the ones who have are probably young or they have young children. But uh, what Omar built, he's 25 years old. He started House of Highlights, which is an Instagram account that was primarily just basketball at the start, but is now all sorts of highlights from professional sports all the way down to user-generated backyard Recognizing that a lot of kids or younger folks don't want to watch the whole game. They just show me what I need to see. Exactly. And oftentimes, kids don't even care about the final, final score. score. Who won it. There's some funny thing that J.R. Smith does in the second quarter of a game, and that's what they want to see. And he recognized that. And just to give you, I mean, some numbers to put it in context, so Bleacher Report bought House of Highlights, which Omar started House of Highlights on Instagram has 14 and a half million followers. Wow. That's more than ESPN has on, on Instagram. So I, I imagine, and Howard Mittman, who is the CEO of Bleacher Report, and he talked about this on the show a couple months ago, I imagine the folks at ESPN were saying, we're getting our lunch money taken in this specific demographic. It's a valuable one. Why don't we poach the guy who did it, essentially? I, but what I don't understand is, all right, once the model's been created, like, do you need that guy? I mean, ESPN can't figure out a way to mimic House of Highlights? Well, but, but he has already built that brand. So well, he just, he's not bringing the brand over. He's not bringing the brand. No, no, but Bleacher has the brand. No, I yeah. get that part, but you, but he is associated with that brand, so you're sure. bringing that guy I, over. I mean, I, and, I, and Omar I is... It, but I just... I, hey, maybe it's it's just the cost of doing business. They see it as a, just a small investment in getting yeah. his audience. But it just seems like if ESPN had seen, hey, this is working, and or any other media outlet, it should be fairly easy to recreate this content. And and you can think of point to another company we've talked about before, Overtime, yeah. as a company that is essentially recreating that. Their business model is a little different, but they are recreating that in some ways. One thing I will say about Omar is that he, as a personality, is also tremendously popular. Yeah. So I think ESPN, whatever they're going to do with him, just having his face out there as the host or just to do live appearances, et cetera, I think that's going to bring them some credibility it right off the jump. It shows me, by the way, however, on the on – the bigger macro level, how important the NBA and mm. basketball is yes. to ESPN. Mm. I mean, we already know the NFL is important. Everybody has to get it. But it does show the investment they're making in their in their studio shows, in their shoulder programming, and Adrian Wojnarowski, and now this. It shows you just how important the NBA is to all facets of what ESPN is trying to do. By the way, let's move on to closing hedge fund makes its way onto the show. Jeff Minnick, what is happening? Yeah, did Jeff Minnick call you asking for money? <laughs> did, wow. He didn't call me. Wow. I, I got to hear this story. What happened? Well, I mean, we're doing this because Jeff Minnick owns the Tampa Bay right, Lightning. Right, right. right, But his day job, 
it, you know, he, it, I guess it, it varies, but one of them is hedge fund manager. He's been in and out of that business for a while. Uh, but he was starting a new hedge fund and he sent a note to clients saying, I'm going to return all your money because simply raising money these days is just too hard. He's not able to raise the cash he thought he'd be able to get. Yeah, so Jeff kind of became famous for running Fidelity's Magellan Fund, um, and he announced, I believe, earlier this year in January that he was starting a new fund on his own. Um, and I, from what people have reported, his target was you know two, three billion dollars. He ended up only getting five hundred million. The returns weren't that bad. Four point eight percent for the first half of the year or so, which is which is pretty good. But I think the way the way he looked at it, if he didn't have a, a big enough upfront capital, it just wasn't worth it. And, you know, nine or ten months after he announced he was doing it, he announced that he's shuttering it. It's just rare that I, I hate, I've i never heard, or at least in a long time, of a hedge fund manager saying, you know, it's been real. See ya. Bye. Well, money's <laughs> returned all the time. I mean, this has been obviously. Yeah, but not not in this short way. I mean, I've, I, that kind of blows me away. It certainly also doesn't seem like Jeff needs the money. Uh, right. So, you know, for him. You know, he gave it a shot. It didn't work out in the way that he maybe wanted it to. Let's and... talk some hockey. He wants more time. He had a team last year that was the most exciting in the NHL, had a ton One of, the of best regular, regular season seasons points, ever. Yeah. gets bounced in the first round. So maybe now he just wants to focus on Tyler Johnson, Andre Vasilevsky, Victor Hedman, and the boys. Steven Stamkos, who, by the way, Eben is a dead ringer <laughs> for Steven Stamkos. If, if you guys, you know, it's the hair, man. If you, I have been asked to sign no, it's autographs as Steven yeah, yeah, Stamkos. Yeah. Before. If you don't yeah. know what Eben looks like, you've never been on the web, just go around and check out Eben Novi Williams and Steven Stamkos. Put them side by side. Stamkos is his older brother. I think Stamkos looks like me, personally. He's older. He, so is you he older? Like him. Oh, for sure. Is, is he? I don't know. Oh, yeah, he's definitely older yeah. than you. I'd be shocked if he isn't. Dash Rip Rock over there. I, anyway. I forget. I used to think of you as young. You're not young anymore. No, I'm not. Uh, Steven Stamkos <laughs> is, is younger than me. Is he really? Yeah, he's my younger brother. Oh, my God. How yeah. old is Stamkos? 29. I thought he was like 32. You are no. starting rumors. Wow. Really? They're brothers? <laughs> yeah, he's my younger brother. I taught him everything he knew. Oh, yeah. man. Now let's get to this week's interview with Sal Galatioto, founder of Galatioto Sports Partners. Yeah, and before that, by the way, Sal ran uh, Lehman Brothers Sports Advisory Business. One of the big bankers out there, does a lot of the biggest deals. So, Sal, thanks for coming in today. Oh, it's a pleasure. I love uh, dealing with you guys. You guys are the best. Well, you realize the listeners have to thank you. Michael, do you remember our pilot episode when we had That's the right. idea to do this? It was Sal and David Stern, and they must have liked what they heard, the bosses, because here we are, I don't know how, how many years later, still doing it. Wow, that's an SAT question, right? Which one of these two people don't belong? <laughs> <laughs> that would be me. No, no, no. We we don't don't Stern. Okay. Right, let's let's get to what's in the news because you're going to tell me you can't talk about it, but let's do it anyway. Because we reported last week that you are starting a $500 million fund. And this comes in response to baseball changing its ownership rule, allowing for investment funds to buy into teams. So I hear you're, you are starting a fund. You got, what, 100 investors, million-dollar minimum. Sal, what can you tell me about this? You're killing me. I can't tell you anything. <laughs> so we'll move on to the next topic. How's that? We, we have to ask, but we do have to ask. All right, let's talk about limited partnerships in general, though. You okay. did help sell some for the Dodgers. I am writing a lot about something that doesn't usually get a lot of attention, and that is LP stakes in sports franchises. Why do folks take it, and is there a liquidity problem these days trying to get out? No, uh, people do it for a whole bunch of reasons. But look, there aren't a lot of control sales going on right now. I mean, they haven't been for a while. Um, so it's a way to get into the business. People, look, it's the only business in the world that has its own section in the newspaper every day, right? 
people love certain franchises. They want to get in. The economics of sports in general have improved tremendously over, God, 25 years ago when I started in this business. Most of these teams lost money, and they were mom-and-pop businesses. Think about it. What did George Steinbrenner pay for the Yankees? Nothing, right? And now it's a multi-billion dollar enterprise. So across the board, people love the investment, and you're seeing more of it because there's a real demand for this stuff. As the banker who advises on the buying and selling, Mm -hmm. you have to look at, obviously, all the revenue streams and what affects the valuation of these teams. Do you point to the media as the main driver? And it must be hard to value it going forward because... My Lord, it changes so quickly. Who knows what, we're, what the landscape's going to be like? Media is, is a key driver. It's not the only driver, but it's a key driver because as technology continues to improve, right, if you're an advertiser, you can, you can record your favorite show, edit out all the commercials, watch it anytime you want. You know what you can't do that with? is sports. People watch it live, like 99.6% or whatever it is. Watch it live. If, if you know the score to the Jet game, from last night. Are you going to watch it again? I could have guessed the score. You may not have watched it to begin with, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you certainly wouldn't watch it again after you knew the score, right? So the value to an advertiser is very high, and there are very few other types of media content, maybe the news, breaking news, stuff like that, that people watch as it occurs. Well, that's the entire new Fox strategy, live, news, and sports. That's it. Right, and and that's a driver, right? So that's a key. I think what you're starting to you see more and more of, and especially as they begin to legalize it across the country, is gaming. Gaming really affects fan, what they call fan affinity. It's people watching games that they don't even care what the outcome is, but they care because they've bet on it, right? And that's a tailwind for sports, too. I know nobody likes to talk about that, but that's coming. So that's, that's the key driver. Bar's a degenerate. He loves to talk Oh, about I love it. to talk about it. You love it. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, I'm a huge fantasy sports fan. And that goes back to what you were saying just a moment ago. Sports has such a small shelf life because it's live. And like you said, it's like you know, once you know the score, it wasn't like the old days where, you know, 40 years ago, don't tell me you won the Indy 500. Don't tell me <laughs> oh, the score. God, you're you're like with the auto racing. And I, oh, my, my father almost blew the whole thing one time when A.J. Foyt won. I was I was so anyway anyway don't mind me but but the, but today <laughs> Sal Michael Michael yeah, yeah. Sal. <laughs> I love him AJ Boyd. I already he's love him he's the greatest <laughs> but then with Twitter and everything it's almost impossible to avoid that uh, what can sports do maybe to try to extend its shelf life well look the beauty of sports is think of how the product life cycles of company of sh- companies have shrunk I I, I teach a class. And I go through, like, when I was a baby banker, the biggest companies in the United States, and how many of them don't exist anymore? Digital Equipment, Data General, Kodak. I mean, names that you would think would never go away. They went away. The shelf life of sports, the product life life cycle is really long because it doesn't really change that much. It's not affected by technology that much. Um, And so you know you've built a fan base that goes back generations to watch this stuff. You know, I teach my kids to be a fan of the Yankees I, or the Giants or whatever, and they teach their children. They teach their children. So the fact is that it's a very stable industry relative to, to the other ones. There are some changes made because, look, football has concussion issues and there are some other issues, but um, it's a great business to be in. The other thing I've learned is... My first entrepreneurial venture 
was when I was 10 years old. I was shining shoes. Do you know what my clients wanted to talk about? Sports. Right. They'd, they'd be there. I'd be shining their shoes and be talking about, I started in 62. So they talked about the new Mets team and how terrible they, they were. They did very well. And Oh, they were great. That was some team. <laughs> Don Zimmer I was still, there. Are you kidding me? They had Jay Hook yeah, and yeah. Hot Rod Keneal. I mean, Choo Choo Coleman. Give me a break. But that's what people talk about. And it's easy to talk about sports. It's not controversial. You talk about anything else, you get into an argument. Yeah, it's, that's true. Right? It's, unless you're talking about the Detroit Lions and the refs. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry, man. <laughs> okay. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, it's it, sports is a, a common denominator where everybody can come together. And I right. think that's one of the most important things about what you do for a living that makes it profitable and, and worthwhile. And I get to deal with some of the greatest characters in the world. I mean, I go back in this business 27 years, so I've done deals with George Steinbrenner. George was a pimp. Can you Al give us Davis, a Steinbrenner story? Uh, George Steinbrenner story. I mean, how many are there? <laughs> we were selling limited partnerships in the Yankees. Those are the and, same folks that, by the way, can't get out to this day. Yeah, right. <laughs> and we had 19, I had 19 perks you get. Preferred parking? No. Preferred seating? No. You get a championship <laughs> ring if we're in the World Series? No. I decided to get a So, all right, George, what do you get if you put in 25 million bucks? He said, you get the right to buy a seat at Yankee Stadium. I said, I have a right to buy a seat at Yankee Stadium. And he said to me, if you can't do it, I'll hire some bleep who can. I said, no, no, I can do it. I can do it. Well, remember the famous quote, there's nothing more limiting than being a limited partner to George Steinbrenner. That's true. And I mean, they're like amazing people. Like even, you know, the guys I pick up the phone and talk to now. I remember I was a little kid sitting on a stoop in Brooklyn, right? The Giants weren't on TV for the championship games. You had to listen on the radio if they played in New York, right? And I used to listen and hear about Wellington Mara. And I got to work with Wellington Mara on the building in the Meadowlands. I mean, it was like, it's amazing. Some of these people are incredible people and incredible characters. So it's fun. We're speaking with Sal Galatioto, founder of Galatioto Sports Partners. And Sal, I want to ask you about a sports business story that's been in the news a little bit. Some folks may know about it. Some may not. NBA player Spencer Dinwiddie, who plays for the Nets right now, uh, is in the process of trying to essentially create a new asset class called athletes, right, and, and sell stakes in himself or his contract uh, to, to people, essentially a bond, right, that will pay an annualized uh, amount. Um, the NBA is pushing back on it a little bit. There have been attempts at this concept in the past of, of people investing in athletes. This seems a little bit different. Give me your thoughts on, on what you think Spencer is doing and, and, and if you think there's a future here. Look, there may be. First of all, I have to commend him. He's obviously really smart and really creative. And that's good. I like those things in people. The problem here, I think the major hurdle is, one, the return rate. You've got to look at the risk-return equation, and is it right? I don't know. It's 2.5%, I think, yeah, is what Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, you could buy 10-year yeah. treasuries at 1.8 today. Mm -hmm. So is that spread enough? Maybe, maybe not. I think the other thing is the league, and the league is saying it violates the collective bargaining agreement. Does it? Doesn't it? I, I don't know. Unless he gets the league on board, it's going to be very difficult to get this done. You're actually the, the perfect person to ask. If I'm Spencer Dinwiddie and I'm an NBA player with a $34 million contract and I walk into a bank and ask for a loan based on what I have coming in on this contract, what, what kind of rate would I be probably looking at? I mean, essentially this is what he's doing, right? He's getting yeah. upfront money for you know the, the contract that he has. Yeah, you'd probably, I mean, look, I don't do personal loans, so I don't know, but yeah. I would think that, 
the base rate is LIBOR, which is what, 1% right now, let's say it is, he'd probably have to pay 3 or 4% above that, which to me would be a 5% rate, right? Because there's risk. Something could happen with that contract. It's, there, there are exclusionary clauses in the contract. He could, I mean, right, I don't work know. Work stoppage right off the bat. Right, sure. work stoppage, he yeah. gets suspended. He could, who knows what could happen. So the bank's going to charge you a spread, right? That's how they make money. I think I think he's going to have an interesting job selling this to investors because they're going to have to be qualified the investors. Qualified investors, yeah. yeah. And a minimum investment's 150 grand, so it's not a small investment. I don't know, it, it, but as you said, it, it's been tried before, and it really hasn't been very successful. I would love for this to be sort of a, a trend, and like Dinwiddie pay out what he does, gets his guaranteed lump sum payment, and then he goes and buys in like you know Anthony Davis. <laughs> which, which players are investing in which well, players? It'd be like theory, fantasy on steroids. Could, that could happen. Right, in theory, yes. if he gets a, a cadre of players right together, they could trade their future earnings amongst themselves. I mean, it's it's really kind of an interesting idea. I was going to ask if I'm Joe Ty, owner of the Brooklyn Nets, am I investing in Spencer Dinwiddie so that if he blows up and he gets a massive contract deal from somewhere else, I'm at least sharing in the money that I'm getting. It's a from hedge, my right? Yeah. In theory, it's a hedge. But I, would the league allow an owner to invest? I, I certainly I, hope I, There's not. a whole bunch of issues. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to ask that because now that becomes a conflict of interest. Correct. Yeah. Correct. I mean, I, I remember back in the day. Well, here I go again. <laughs> Every story We're going back to the, you, the yeah, dinosaur man, days with the Pistons, and you were rooting. That's it. You didn't know. You, you didn't care about the other right. team. And if someone came into Kobo Arena, man, messing with them, Kobo yeah, Arena. Yeah, look at you. I know, man. It's oh, that's man. old Detroiter, man. I like that. Now it, it has changed so much, and just what Evan and Scott had mentioned, it's like now oh, you're, you're talking about buying shares and. And other players. I, maybe an old guy like me. I don't understand. Did you ever well, work with Bill Davis? I think of the amount of money we're talking about now, yeah. right? Yeah. You, it, yeah. For $13 million, when they were playing in Cobo Arena, you could have bought the Pistons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, and, and sticking with the Pistons, did you ever work with Bill Davidson? Oh, yeah. Mr. D, I love Mr. D. He was a wonderful guy. We actually sold the Tampa Bay Lightning when he yep. owned it. Yep. And we did business with the Pistons. We did a lot. I used to go to Detroit all the time. I loved him. He was a wonderful owner. When you're evaluating an opportunity for a prospective buyer, doesn't matter the league. Think about what Bill Davidson was looking at and think about and what he was going to have to pay. Mm -hmm. And then, by the way, what the current folks are going to have to pay and how they evaluate. If I'm, let's say, say David Tepper, because that's a recent sale, mm -hmm. I have to look at real estate. I have to look at media. I have to look at gaming. How more? How much more difficult is it these days to sort of look at the opportunities and the ROI for the investment required. In Wellington Mara, a fairly small amount to get in. Oh, it's huge. I mean, forget, forget all that is absolutely true what you said, but just think about the size of the check you have to write yeah. now. I mean, when Mr. D bought the Pistons, it probably was 3% of his net worth. But now if you were going to buy the Pistons, it's a huge slug of your net worth. So you got to get it right, right? You got to, and you have to understand the market, the demographics of the market, your fan base, Media, as you said, what condition is the building in? Do you need a new building? Are you going to need a new building in five years? I've been told a lot of prospective buyers these days are looking at opportunities where they can actually do something with media and they can do something with real estate. They don't want the plug and play because the opportunity outside of just the game isn't there for them. That's true. I mean, look, if, if you're buying a building in a place where you could do a lot of really good real estate development around the building, yeah. I mean, that's a plus. If you have a media contract that's coming due for renewal, your local media contract, yeah, that's a plus. If, if you have a payroll where you have flexibility, 
where you don't have a lot of long-term contracts that tie you up forever, yeah, that's flexibility. But there's also downside to that because if you have a really good team and you have players that are running off pretty fast, then you have to either re-sign them, let them walk, and rebuild the team. That's harder. So there are all kinds of variables here. And we spend, I can't tell you how much time we spend just crunching numbers and, and thinking about things. What about educating would-be owners? How much time do you spend educating them on how how difficult it is? It, it just isn't. Look at, I mean, Dan Snyder said, can't believe they sold the team to a 34-year-old. <laughs> he didn't know. It, 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 look, it is difficult, but think about who you're dealing with. Every single person, because of the price of these teams, has made a lot of money doing something else. And they're all pretty smart. But yes, it's a completely different business. And part of the problem is some of the people that come into the business, they don't do enough due diligence. They, they try to do it on their own. And they, they miss certain things that are very specific to this business, right? For instance, you look at the demographics of the Miami market. And you say to yourself, it's growing. It's good weather. There's no taxes in the state of Florida. It's wonderful. Well, okay, it depends on the sport you buy, right? Where is that? When is baseball played? What season? It's hot. Right. And where is every wealthy person in Miami when it's hot? Not in Miami. I'm assuming it's somewhere, somewhere else. else right. <laughs> yeah. And so if you want to sell all these luxury suites and you want to sell club seats and you want to charge $800 for a ticket, everybody that could pay $800 for a ticket is someplace else. Well, do you know why Mickey Arison did that calculus? And he understood that the battle for the entertainment dollar in Miami, clubs, restaurants, it's tough. Yeah. He understood that his team needed to be more than just good. He needed to have sizzle. It had to be a place to be seen. That's why he had Shaq show up right. in the tractor trailer. That's why he said, I need to put together Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, right. and LeBron James. Because having just a good team of, of let's just say, middle-name players, but a good winning team is not enough in that market. No, it's really tough. And some markets are much more difficult than other markets. They just are. Look... If you own the Lakers in LA, you own the Lakers. That brand is a great brand. In some other markets, the demographics is gonna work against you because the market's shrinking, per capita income is shrinking, companies are leaving. What do you do? It doesn't matter how well you run the team, right? In five years, when your local media contract comes up, there's just fewer people. You're gonna get, it's very difficult to move up, right? Thinking, well, thinking more broadly, Outside of just individual markets, if every major U.S. league was was tradable, was it was a publicly owned company, where would you be putting your dollars if you had to invest in one? Depends on the team. Uh, yeah, so I'm asking. I mean, more, I'm asking more about I, the I league as a whole. Generically, I mean, to me, look, large market, great brands in all sports. You look, people say all right, hockey is the fourth sport, but if you're talking about hockey in Toronto, where am I putting my money? Hockey in Montreal? Am I putting my money in a baseball team that might move to Montreal? Or am I putting my money into the Canadians? Okay? Or in certain markets, certain sports, everybody says the NFL is a top sport in every market. But in some markets, it's just not. I mean, I would argue in New York, the Yankees are the top brand right now. And also, there are places where the demographics are very positive. You might buy the team today, but if the market's growing very quickly, you might want to be in that market, right? But so more specifically about about leagues as a whole, are there any which leagues do you think are just on the upswing in terms of what they're doing downswing? I mean, if you had he's, to put your money you into in the a corner, he's putting me in a corner. He's putting me. I can't. I'm I, just curious. Yeah, I don't view it that way. Yeah. I don't look at it that way. Look, if I could buy the Chicago Blackhawks, would I buy them tomorrow? Yeah, it's <laughs> a huge market. They're a great brand. They have a great logo, and they're playing a great building. 
if you ask me about another hockey team in another market, I might say I'd want to buy something else. It it depends where you are. People sure. may say, by the way, Sal, come on. But you know what? There's something to it. My son, as you know, big hockey yeah, player. Yeah. Here in New York, we go watch the Devils. We've taken the Madison right. Square Garden. I, I grew up an Islanders fan, so I tried to get him into the Islanders. You know why I picked the Blackhawks? The logo. The logo. They loved the uniform. How many colors does it have? More colors than any, any other logo Just the in the league. bright red and, and the and Indian no, head. He I, loved I'm, it. I'm, I'm serious. That makes a difference. It's name recognition, right? You draw fans. It's the history of the team. It depends where you are. Look, the year George Steinbrenner bought the Yankees, take a guess at how many fans the year before the Yankees drew. In New York, the biggest market in the United States. Oh, we're talking about the Greg Nettle years. It was probably a even small before, amount. Yeah, yeah even before real that. small. Yeah. 973,000 people. So you'd look at that team and say, it plays in an old building in the South Bronx, and nobody goes, right? right? But you know what George understood? The value of the Yankee brand. If he could rebuild that team, people would come. And the building was just as bad. It was, it was in the same neighborhood. And you know what? You got Reggie Jackson. You got Catfish Hunter. And, and the place was full. Speaking of players, what happens when an owner has a problem, child? <laughs> Antonio Brown. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> what? I mean, this went from, of course, from the Steelers, then to the Raiders, then to the New England Patriots, and then you shoot off a note. It's like, what are you doing? Is How much does that cost the owner when you have somebody like that? It hurts. It hurts because it hurts the team's performance, right? It hurts the brand. And then the fan base doesn't care what the player's doing as long as the player's catching touchdown passes. And they're going to get mad at you. But at some point, look, we're not in the clubhouse. We don't know how it affects the team. We don't know how it affects the coaching staff. We, you know, So the owner... And the general manager is going to make the decision that's best for the team at that time. It may not be in the long run, right? I mean, Antonio Brown, well, he's a wonderful talent. I mean, he's a tremendous talent, but he just doesn't seem to be able to fit in a lot of and places. And you got to wonder what's going on in your core business, too. Right. Peter Nordstrom told me, and I remember his dad, when they owned the Seahawks way back when, right. his dad told me if he ever traded away a, a, a fan favorite or whatever, that they would get cut-up Nordstrom credit cards mm. in the mail as protest. Oh, yeah. Got to be careful. Oh, yeah. Look, forget about the United States. Think about what it's like in Europe. The fans are insane. I mean, here people cut up your credit cards. There they try to kill you. You know? <laughs> so it's it, because, because sports, sports is something that people get so attached to the team that the team belongs to them, right? It's almost like the owner kind of owns the team and is supposed to take care of it. But it's your team, right? One of the bigger sports business stories of the past few weeks, obviously, what happened with the NBA in China. I'm curious, as you you know, you evaluate you know franchises all the time. Do you think that that, that what's happened over the past couple of weeks for the NBA in China has a material impact on the value of NBA franchises? Wow, that's a that's really a good question. I don't think so right now. I think because there are so few of them and they're scarce, and people really would love to own one. I don't think so. I think there are a lot more bidders than there are teams that will become available. Over the long run, the NBA's got to do something because China's their second biggest market, let's be honest. But, I mean, the league's in a tough spot here. But what, I haven't what, seen any What about downturn. for the Rockets specifically? Just sold for $2.2 billion yeah. to Tillman Fertitta. Part of that valuation, obviously, the team's tremendous popularity in China. Do the Rockets themselves take a valuation hit, do you think? I don't think so because it's the league in general. League revenues offshore are divided up amongst the teams. 
So, yes, the Rockets were the most popular team in China, but I don't think economically it's going to have a direct impact on them any more than it is on the league in general. Um, but it's a tough spot. they got to figure out, you know, I mean, this, this is not an easy thing, and it depends on what happens in Hong Kong, right? So it's all going on, by the way, as part of this bigger trade discussion between the countries. Nothing operates in a vacuum. Correct. And... And the Chinese government's going to do what's best for the Chinese government. They think what's best for them. And, you know, if I'm Adam Silver, I'm, I'm kind of scratching my head right now. I mean, I think he's doing the best job he possibly can. I have a huge amount of respect for him. But it's a tough spot to be in. Very similar heads, even though this isn't television. Uh, it's true. It is in television, but oh, we go to we definitely go to the same bar. Let, let me let me put it that way. Sal okay. Galatiano, founder of Galatiano Sports Partners. So Thanks for coming wrong, in, pal. Man. Thank He's you. killing me. Oh, thank you so much. That was fun. See, you know why I love a guy like Sal because. He's old like me. I was going to say, he knows the people you reference. Yes, when I when I referenced Kobo choo, choo, Arena, choo, choo, he knew exactly where I was going with that, man. That, see, you need that history, uh, and you need that experience sometimes. There's a whole plethora out there of people that can use that experience that Sal has, and that's great. Yeah, I'll tell, well, yeah, I mean, this maybe isn't a takeaway from Sal, but maybe it's a good lesson, and you just pointed out. It is valuable, obviously, to know the history. And I see it all the time in sports business, folks who haven't covered it that long. And, uh, you know, they'll make a point and they don't really remember things that happened or previous work stoppages or how we got here or things that have been done and, and, and personalities. It is very helpful to be able to look back to understand not only why things are happening now, but what might happen down the road. I was a little surprised to hear him say that he didn't think the Houston Rockets were going to feel any financial fallout of what happened uh, in China over the past couple of weeks. Uh, but more broadly, you know, I, I like when these guys come on and talk about, you know, a, a perspective or a way they see things that I think most people would be surprised by. And he gave a great example of thinking about the Miami market for professional sports. Right. And I think a lot of people think of Miami, big Hispanic population, wealthy population, good weather, and they think that, oh, if I was starting a sports team there, yeah. baseball seems like a good one, right? Huge Hispanic population. But as he said, you know, people leave Miami a lot during the summer. Um, and that's borne out. The, the the Marlins haven't been very good and they haven't drawn very well. It makes me think about the MLS team that's, that's launching there. Another team that's going to be playing all the way through the summer. And a sport, again, soccer, that you would think would be very successful in Miami. But that goes to what I was talking about, about understanding. Like maybe if you'd had For some sure. conversations with Mickey Harrison and understanding – know why he got Shaq, why he needed LeBron. It's really not enough, as we said with Sal. It's not enough just to have a good team. Mm -hmm. You have to be an event in Miami to get people out of the clubs, the restaurants, the beach, whatever it is. And the league may not be as important as people think. It's more specifically kind of the marriage of the sport and the market. Yeah. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of week and like sometimes on the old game show to tell the truth scott you have to disqualify yourself um well people know that we sometimes <laughs> discuss these yeah. but i saw this and i was like oh, hey bar i shot a little email this may be a good number of the week this is a great one so stamkos is, is in it alone this <laughs> <laughs> so this is for you yeah evan 74 uh, the prof women's professional golfer back at it again with her caddy. <laughs> 74 stroke penalty. Stop standing behind me! <laughs> uh, I, do, I have no idea. I'll give you a hint. It's something that started uh, earlier this week. 
70 that's, that's, that's not a hint. That's not a hint. But the, the amount of money Mattress Mac has some, in millions has It has, has something bet. to do with the six. The six. The, the North. We the North. Oh, there's six. The 74 years since a Canadian hockey team has, has made the playoffs. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Just tell him. All right. Uh, this, <laughs> the rep, he's talking about the six, the arena on the front of the ring. And there are six round diamonds representing the six. Mm. Which rapper and Raptors global ambassador Drake popularized as another reference for the city of Toronto. What we're getting at, 74 diamonds Mm. in the championship ring. How much is is the ring worth? We didn't see the worth, but did did you see it? I saw it. Yeah, it is. You need... Like you put it, I think, on three fingers. Yeah, the the arms race in championship yeah. rings is a, is a real thing. It's alive folks. and it's <laughs> alive and there's no exchange rate in Canadian <laughs> yeah. diamonds, man. This thing is huge. Amazing. Oh man, your hand would fall to the table. Yes. I mean, but it's pretty. It's a nice looking ring. It's, it's worth a lot. Uh, you've been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. I don't have a ring outside of my wedding band. Yes, titanium. Yes, yes. We're here each and every week at the same time. Plus, online, wherever you get your podcast, you can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. And I'm Scott Sajnik. You can follow me on Twitter at Sajnik. Thank you very much for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with the CEO of the New York Roadrunners, Michael Caparasso. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports, Bloomberg Radio, around the world.